Good evening. It's a little after 6.30 p.m. And welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And, of course, both of us are uh, a little burned out from uh, all the movies we saw last week at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. Thought it was an unusually good year overall. Um, interesting that we're seeing more kind of longer documentary-style movies at, yeah. the, at the film festival along with the shorts. And uh, the animation is as good as ever. Uh, let's face it, there's film studies programs all over the world now. And uh, I would dare to venture that Ann Arbor gets more submissions uh, for the festival than perhaps uh, ever. So there's more material to look at. And uh, This is true, actually, yeah. I think, you know, I've noticed over the years that the overall quality of the movies uh, has uh, greatly improved. And, of course, the movie that won the best uh, film festival, the so-called Ken Burns Award. By the way, he was uh, on hand, gave a Penny Stamps lecture on Thursday night, and showed his own new documentary, which I unfortunately missed. I did run into him in the John. <laughs> I said, Mr. Burns, <clears throat> I love your work. Well, I, yeah. You know, he's done impressive uh well, he's over the years clearly the yeah he's clearly the biggest name in uh, documentary filmmaking in America uh, certainly at the moment and uh, his penny stamp lecture was quite good. I got to ask a question. Uh, he, he took a number of questions. Uh, the Central Park Five will be aired on PBS yeah. in the near future. That um, might have been why I skipped it. <clears throat> so there are uh, ample opportunities to come up and see that. But it was also uh, Friday night, the animation show, uh, in the middle of one of the crazier more bizarre uh pieces i sometimes like to look around and see what what are the reactions of others and see the light sure. from the screen reflecting off their faces and uh i glanced over to my right and about five or six seats down in the same row was mr ken burns with his eyes wide in wonder watching with everyone else uh the bizarre piece of uh animation that uh, was unfolding on the screen so and of course he's from ann arbor so i jokingly said i don't know who's more famous you or iggy pop <laughs> And so we had a good little laugh about that. Um, as for the Nixon movie, Our Nixon, uh, one of the uh, nice things about the fact that it won Best Film of this particular festival is it automatically goes into a Academy Award nomination pile. So it's uh, got a chance. And it's a very, it was a very impressive movie based on home... What do they call it? Super, Super 8? Super 8. Yeah. Uh, the old... Uh handheld brownie cameras yeah. that uh, grandma and grandpa used to take family movies with and of course over the years there have been many uh documentary experimental documentaries whatever you want to call it with that technology in which people uh found footage from the old days and uh cobbled together some sort of a film a narrative film maybe about their family or some 
outdoor experience mm-hmm. or perhaps a <clears throat> inner experience involving something like LSD. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, <clears throat> the uh, fact that th- this uh, footage was basically from Haldeman, Ehrlichman, and Dwight Chapin, high-ranking people in the Watergate scandal, was fascinating in and of itself. Obviously, much of the footage was sort of the celebrations, the happy moments. You know, the, I, I, was, I kept hoping when they showed the Easter egg, um, since Easter's coming up, <laughs> there was a gigantic rabbit. Uh, yeah, a the, man in a rabbit suit on the Easter uh, egg rolling contest on the White House lawn. And I kept hoping that the rabbit would pull his hat off and it would be Richard Nixon. <laughs> Out on the out on the White House lawn frolicking with the children and the colored Easter eggs. But alas, we don't know who that masked man was. E. Howard Hunt, perhaps. Yeah, it was perhaps one of his uh, disguises uh, yeah. used in some of his uh, capers that later became known as the Watergate scandal. Well, I think the film did a great job with uh, blending these heretofore unseen images uh, behind the scenes uh, in the Nixon White House and abroad, lots of footage from China, uh, with uh, the audio uh, from the Watergate tapes, yeah. uh, the White House tapes. And uh, there's just some interesting uh, blends and combinations of that, things that you'd read in the transcripts, but to see them paired with these images was made it even more uh, powerful. And, uh, of course, uh, something that uh, doesn't often get talked about is the fact that Haldeman, Ehrlichman, Chapin were all in advertising. All ad men, and that's how they... And it was interesting that many of Nixon's top uh, campaign cabinet officials actually were campaign ah, people. Right. Uh, not policy experts. Cheerleaders. Yeah. You know, ego marketing, strokers. Marketers. Marketing, and yes. they knew how to talk to the president uh, in many ways. I don't know if you noticed the brief footage of Nixon uh, meeting Ceausescu. Oh, that, no, yeah. Yeah, that was on there very briefly. Hmm. There was a little bit of a a segment where they showed some foreign policy right. dignitaries that showed Heads up. Heads of state visiting. And I suspect that one of the guys, when, when we don't know who filmed it, but it was probably Haldeman, uh, since he would have been... Johnny at, on the spot. <laughs> well, at those sorts of events. Um, Chapin was a much lower-ranking official. He actually came into the uh, Nixon White House via Haldeman. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was interesting that he was the first official uh, thrown overboard, so to speak, in the Watergate scandal simply because he was linked to Donald Segretti and the dirty tricks that were um, part of the Nixon uh, campaign to reelect the president in 1971 and 72. Uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein uh, did some expose about the uh, Segretti operations before the 72 re-election. Uh-huh. That was one of the only things really that the public knew about the horrors of Watergate. Segretti, um, the, the uh, <laughs> phrase that they use in the, in the Nixon uh, tapes or the Nixon White House, Watergate, all the president's men, uh, is... Uh, basically was called rat screwing mm-hmm. different word for that uh you can use your imagination to know what the real word was but that was the operation and of course it was the high school pranks the sort of stuff that it's interesting carl rove allegedly was engaged in at various times in his uh, career as a political operative 
We might talk a bit about Karl Rove in a second regarding the 10-year anniversary of the Iraq War. But I thought the other thing that was very interesting about the the footage, because some of it was uh, post-Watergate interviews mm -hmm. that were given either on public television or local television or national television. Mike Wallace uh, was uh, uh, featured, uh, and Phil Donahue. Um, and I thought it was interesting that uh, Haldeman was basically unapologetic. He had no uh, shame whatsoever. And Ehrlichman was a man of... of doubt at times defending what he did and at times admitting that things were out of control and that things were going on that he didn't know about for instance he did not know about the Watergate taping system whereas Haldeman did and Dwight Chapin was interesting simply because he was the first man thrown overboard uh, he was forced out in early 1973 uh, forced out of the White House, they had a sort of an interesting discussion about his being told he was going to have to pack his bags. People were crying. Woodward, uh, I mean, Haldeman was crying, apparently. Chapin was crying. And you could see uh, late in life, there was an interview segment with Chapin from 2007. He's still alive. Apparently works as a political operative in the Long Island area. Uh, undoubtedly still loyal to the Republican uh, party cause, but you know, he's still a true believer in some sense, but obviously feels somewhat betrayed by what happened um, Because his role was historically uh, speaking quite minor. He was not uh, part of uh, the plumbers or Dirty tricks or whatnot, but it It was basically a sort of a presaging of the pattern that was going to emerge in which Nixon kept coming up with schemes to throw people overboard to protect the president. And at one point, even in the Watergate tapes, before Haldeman resigns, he tells Nixon, you need to fire people and put them in jail to end the scandal. And uh, it basically doesn't work. And there's eventually a scheme to try and pin it on Mitchell, which I'm sure Nixon uh, was not something he wanted to do because Mitchell of course had become he had been the Attorney General when a lot of the uh, real horrors involving Nixon's paranoia about the Pentagon Papers and intelligence operations it's important to remember that Watergate itself as a scandal really started in 1970 with the Houston plan mm. and the Houston plan is is somewhat <clears throat> overlooked I would say in some of the analysis of um, Watergate, because it's interesting, Nixon met with the directors of various intelligence agencies, and I'm quoting from Stanley Cutler's first book here, The Wars of Watergate, on June 5th of 1970, the CIA, FBI, DIA, and National Security Agency. He criticized their overlapping activities and jurisdictions and demanded that they reorganize to provide him with one formed body of opinion on domestic political intelligence. He named Hoover as chairman, first among equals, and installed um, Houston uh, as, quote, staff director. And this Houston plan essentially became an operation that uh, Nixon wanted to employ uh, in which he figured and, and concluded that the FBI pretty much didn't have the guts to do these break-ins 
and surveillance activities, bugging activities. And, of course, he later becomes obsessed with the Pentagon Papers, leading to the formation of the infamous Plumbers Unit and the dirty tricks, bugging, break-ins, all these sorts of things that are known as the uh, horrors of Watergate, the assist systemic abuse of power by the executive branch. flat-out criminality. Yeah. I mean, let's call it what it is. Flat-out criminality. And, of course, Nixon knew many of these things all along. Um, of course, the justification for this was national security. We hear that phrase still bandied about uh, even today. Uh, all presidents use national security quote-unquote, as an excuse for their um, operations, so to speak, their surveillance. And the Patriot Act, what's remarkable about the Patriot Act, which, of course, passed almost with no dissent, very little discussion following 9-11, is that this almost authorizes all the horrors of Watergate. Yeah. In, Ex post facto. In, in some amazing yeah. ways. And the Supreme Court, of course, for instance, has held that Cell phone conversations are not covered under the 1934 federal wiretapping law. If you have a landline phone to tap your phone, they still have to go to a judge and get a warrant. And there has to be probable cause. And, of course, over the years, the national security uh, uh, sort of infrastructure of the United States government has set up all kinds of surveillance techniques that I find incredibly alarming and what is more troubling for me rather than sort of per peripheral discussions about drones in in Pakistan or Yemen and whether that should be a CIA um, responsibility or uh, uh, you know housed in the White House the Pentagon so to speak which uh, Obama has decided to take it away from the CIA and put it back into the White House, which I think is, is, is a more responsible and accountable act on his part. It's this systemic sort of blindness that our society is going in. There's, there's very little concern about the fact that emails uh, become permanent records um, that the government now can subpoena for any reason that they deem in the interests of national security. So many of the scary aspects of Watergate are still with us, in my opinion. They're just a little softer, and they don't involve, I think, the overwhelming paranoia of Tricky Dick. <laughs> That's our Nixon. That's our Nixon. Because what we loved about the movie, by the way, was the, was the show business aspect of much yeah. of the Nixon events. Um, they're happy events. People are having fun. They're dressed in silly costumes. It's about stagecraft and singing and dogs and, and balloons and festivity. And we're going to have a party. It's going to be fun. Yeah. <clears throat> and, of course, uh, there were so many segments that were uh, fascinating. Uh, one of my favorites that I wanted to mention what concerned uh, a discussion. And I <laughs> think it was between Ehrlichman and Nixon. It was either Haldeman and Nixon or Ehrlichman and Nixon. But anyway, it involved water. It involved all in the family. And Nixon was <clears throat> angry at the fact that they had taken the basketball game 
uh, back in those days, basketball, you know, events were, that were scheduled for primetime TV went on when they were scheduled. Right. So if there was uh, a minute left in the basketball game that you were watching that wasn't quite over, the networks cut into the regular programming. Well, you'd seen, eight o'clock, you get your regular show. Yeah. And the game is gone. Regardless. Yeah. And uh, of course, the <clears throat> NFL changed that policy eventually. Uh, it's the famous Heidi game that I won't go into, but it involves, ironically, uh, the daughter of Blake Edwards and Julie Andrews starring as Heidi that interrupted a uh, suspenseful AFL football game between the New York Jets and Oakland Raiders that was something like 45 to 44, and the game was cut off with a minute 10, and, you know, the switchboards lit up. But anyway, getting back to All in the Family, it's so amusing because Nixon thinks that the show is about two homosexuals. <laughs> and the discussion is so funny because it he goes into his historical theories of homosexuality and starts talking about the Socrates and the yeah. Greeks and the <laughs> Roman Empire. <laughs> Look, all brought down by homosexuality. The last six emperors were... Eh. Yeah, and of course he mistakenly says that uh, All in the Family is a movie, and Ehrlichman corrects him and says, oh, I think it's a TV show. Yeah. That's even worse. <laughs> it's on TV. Uh, for me, the most uh, astonishing moment was uh, a White House uh, entertainment uh, spectacle. <clears throat> the uh, so I don't know uh, what the occasion was, but uh, the Ray Conniff singers oh, yes. are brought in to uh, entertain the uh, president. And, of course, he introduces them and uh, welcomes them and says, if the music's a little square, well, I like it square. I like it square. And the Raycon of Singers come out. And if you're not familiar with the Raycon of Singers, it's pretty Muzaki stuff. It's pop vocal group, uh, really dorky. And uh, before they start singing, one of the young ladies in the group unfurls a small handmade uh, flag she's made that says, stop the killing. And she says into her microphone, uh, Mr. President, you uh, are responsible for death and murder and killing in Vietnam. And you go to church on Sunday and you pray to Jesus Christ and you should be ashamed of yourself. And nobody says anything. There's this awkward silence that hangs. And then eventually someone shouts out, get her out of there. And what was hilarious about the shot, too, was there was a hand that kind of went in from the side of the camera. Right. And yoink. And tried to grab the sign, grab the Take a little cloth sign from her yeah, there. Yeah, it was great. And uh, I don't know who was filming that, which one of the, uh, whether it was Haldeman, Ehrlichman, or Chapin, but it was, uh, they didn't move the camera away. They, no, they, they it were captured were at all. Captured and uh, enraptured by the event, probably. Yeah. Oh, the Raycon singers. I love these guys. So and, of was, course, lots of footage of Kissinger poolside and uh, on the Great Wall of China. So uh, this film, I think, um, I'm not sure if it's going to be on PBS, but uh, the director did a, Q a Q and a afterwards up on stage. And uh, she said that um, it is going to be aired on television. Uh, I suspect cable or PBS. It will eventually be available on DVD. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able to get an interview with her. She's very busy traveling the uh, festival circuit with this film. Uh, but uh, I'm still hopeful that at some point we will be able to uh, record an interview with uh, Miss Penny Lane and talk to her about this uh, very, very interesting film. And if you missed it, you, you really missed something special. Uh, keep your eyes out for our Nixon. And I'll mention quickly uh, a book 
that is uh, near and dear to both Dick and myself here. Nixon at the Movies by Mark Feeney, an excellent study of both uh, the movies that Richard Nixon watched in the White House, and he watched more, screened more films in the White House than any other president. There's a listing here of what he saw and when he saw it. <laughs> what did the president see and when did he see it? Uh, and also about, uh, there's chapters in here about films made in the Nixon era uh, that reflect the paranoia mm -hmm. of that uh, time period, uh, as well as a brilliant uh, essay on the film Double Indemnity uh, that calls it the most Nixonian of films. And uh, if you know anything at all about Double Indemnity, you, you need to read this essay and, and see that movie again and Stand well, back and yeah, wonder. it was one of the classic film noirs uh, of that era. I think it came out in 47, maybe. Um, there's actually a very interesting new book out called uh, Film Noir in the 40s, about the Cold mm. War and the connection on how film and cinema changed um, after the end of sec uh, the, the Second World War with the, with the you know, the corresponding rise of the national security state mm -hmm. uh, in the United States. It's fascinating, by the way, I've always noted this, that during World War II, which of course is the most uh, destructive war in the history of human civilization in terms of total lives lost, area of the globe involved, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the gas chambers, the, the fact that the Nazis, uh, it's now been revealed, had uh, living room, uh, Lebensraum, uh, documents that planned on clearing out 40 to 70 million people in Eastern Europe to accommodate uh, Hitler's racist Germanic theory of um, Aryan supremacy. Aryan supremacy and the thousand-year Reich. Um, this is why, of course, he invaded uh, the Soviet Union in 1941. Uh, part of the reason but his uh, you know the people that ultimately died mainly in world war ii lived in eastern europe mm -hmm. um and it wasn't just jews it was anybody of slavic origin as well yep uh, hitler had racist theories about that but anyway we used to call the uh, the uh, agency that operated the the war, the Department of War, right? Not the Department of Defense, and that in and of itself is the magical theory of, you know, George Orwell and the use mm -hmm. of language uh, to disguise what's actually going on. One of FDR's um, great qualities. Uh, as a war leader was his ability to pick the right people to lead the war in the right areas. And it's fascinating that Nixon's favorite movie from the Mark Feeney book, Nixon at the Movies, was Patton. He loved that movie. And that, of course, is a very powerful movie. I think it's one of the most outstanding acting performances by George C. Scott uh, as Patton in cinematic history. Uh, Definitely awesome stuff. And I believe that Oliver Stone actually had a role in the screenplay of Patton. Oh, yes. As an early young person working out in Hollywood. Uh, so I'd never miss a chance to see Patton on the big screen. I think that the opening shot mm. with Patton and the flag is one of the all-time classics. And, Indeed. of course, Patton was... Um, 
you know, a controversial general, but he never was fired. He got into some trouble for some things that he did that made for bad press back home. But Roosevelt wasn't stupid enough to say we're taking this guy out, out of the ball game here. No, this guy knows how to kill Germans. He knows how to advance the tanks. He's marching to Berlin. Yeah, indeed. Of course, the Russians got there first. <laughs> and uh, as for uh, the, uh, a final epitaph on Richard Nixon, at the so-called initial meeting of the, in which the Houston plan was to be implemented on June 5th, I love this observation by one of the participants about the June 5th meeting because the president made clear, quote, we must develop a plan which will enable us to curtail the illegal activities of those who are determined to destroy our society. How ironic. <laughs> uh, that, of course, is his reference and his theory that anti-war protesters were destroying our society. And it's interesting that in the Our Nixon uh, movie, uh, Ehrlichman, Haldeman, and Chapin all discuss their theories that the war protesters extended the Vietnam War. Well, there was no mention in the movie whatsoever about the fact that what was really going on under the Nixon management of the Vietnam War was the commencement of the war in Cambodia. Secret war. The secret war. The secret bombing of Cambodia. And Laos. And the overthrow of um, Prince Sihanouk, who died uh, recently, and the... Um, <clears throat> shall we say, the uh, foisting upon the Cambodian people of Lan Nol, who is Spalding Gray, ironically noted in swimming to Cambodia, is a palindrome, <laughs> which is a word spelled backwards and forwards the same. Well, Lan Nol didn't have a chance coming or going. That's the, the, uh... the, yeah, the carpet bombing of Cambodia led, of course, to the civil war in Cambodia, which eventually led to the Khmer Rouge. And uh, those are the atrocities that uh, Richard Nixon is simply responsible for uh, on his own. Uh, Laos, of course, was actually already being bombed uh, by Johnson uh, earlier. Uh, that was secret as well. And it's uh, interesting that back then, in remote parts of uh, Asia, and needless to say, parts of Africa and Latin America, secret wars, of course, could go on because we didn't have uh, international correspondents that were, you know, out uh, filming things. And, of course, the war in Laos was actually being reported in Europe, but not in the United States. All the news fit to print at times was not being printed. It is important to recognize that the New York Times did eventually publish a, a groundbreaking article on the secret wars in Cambodia. This is what led to the uh, Kent State uh, event in uh, May of 1970, and hence this implementation of the Houston plan, which followed mm. a month later, is p perfectly relevant to the the interesting theory that uh, they needed their own intelligence operation, the creation of the plumbers, basically came out of the Houston plan. It's actually fascinating. It was John Ehrlichman that went over to visit J. Edgar Hoover, and he decided that he was a relic, that there were all sorts of weird things on the wall, like, you know, stuffed moose heads and 
battle axes from the War of the Roses and weird stuff. And he decided that Hoover had so much weird paraphernalia, and God knows what he did with that paraphernalia, that uh, he had to be replaced. And Nixon was like, well... I got some news for you. <laughs> no one's replacing Hoover. That man has a file on everyone. He knows too damn much. That's right. Which, of course, is later what became the famous comment that he made about Hunt when being told of uh, the blackmail operation that Hunt was employing against the White House and vice versa. I'd like to thank Andrew for engineering this evening here on Gray Matters here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up next. Stay tuned. Allen Ginsberg here, announcing that this is station WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor, your Dharmic free speech station. And I want you to know Honey, I want you to know The little been doing, Lord, baby, don't you do it no more Baby, I want you to know Sweet girl, I want you to know The little been giving, Lord, baby, don't you give it no more I got so many women, don't know who I love Gang around me like the engine above the crying baby Honey They want you to understand, honey, I want you to understand, I don't mean you no more good, now please get your another man. Good evening, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor, and this is Yazoo City Calling. My name is Weston Hughes, and I will be sitting in this week while Jerry Mack is away. Raleigh Tussing is here tonight as well to help me play records for you here. If you would like to make a request, or if you have any feedback for this evening's performance, you can call 734-763-3500, and I'd be glad to take your call. Up first, we have Bo Carter here in 1935, and a whole hour's worth of early country blues for you, so stay tuned. Honey, I want you to know, honey, I want you to know, the lady been doing, Lord, baby, don't you do it no more. Honey, I want you to know. Honey, I want you to know. The lady been giving, Lord, baby, don't you give it no more. I'm going out east for a change. So many women they're out of my brains, they're crying, baby. Honey. They want you to understand. They want you to understand. I don't mean you no more good, now please get your another man. I thought it do 